0: Exist for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network, so for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, where we take a look at mutants, magic, and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we're going to be taking a look at Way of X number 4, One Last Spin with X-Men number 1, and Black Knight number 3 and 4. First things first, Onslaught returns and people are excited? In Way of X number 4, Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn raise the crazy on Krakoa to an unbelievable new level, and we hope you guys enjoy enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making this for you and if you like what you hear you might like what you see so go over and take a look at youtube twitter and patreon at x is for podcast where you can like and subscribe and let us know what you guys think and help us shape the future of the show hey everybody and welcome back to x is for podcast the show where we take a look at comics mutants magic and marvels week after week through their many monthly titles i'm nico and you guys can find me on twitter and instagram at nico action that's n-i-c-o-a-c-t-i-o-n
1: I'm Kyle. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. That's D-R-A-N-T-I-S-8-2. Hey
2: everyone, this is Dante, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at InfernoMagic, and that is magic with a K.
3: And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Jonah. That's P-E-A-K, and we hope you survive this experience unlike the patrons at the Green Lagoon when Onslaught showed up and both Zorns had to blow everybody to smithereens. Okay,
0: but hold on. I need to point out that <laughs> no. we live in an amazing world of twins, right? Uh, whether it's that question of whether that picture of Wolverine is actually two Batmans kissing and they're twin Batmans macking on each other's faces, or it's the Zorns. Zorn brothers.
4: I'm so I, confused.
0: I don't fucking care anymore. You know what? I cared <laughs> once upon a time. There was a there was a period in my life, right, where I was some sort of uh, you know uh, canonist.o Where everything had to fit into my canonical understanding of the universe. And I have come to just appreciate that if Zorn is going to show up on the fucking page, I'm going to have a pretty great time. I'm not going to question it. I'm going to enjoy that badass helmet for everything it's worth, and I'm going to sit and reflect on my favorite scene in comic book history. A man with a star for a brain, Charles! I'm just going to reflect on my favorite moment in comic book history. Anyway, so one of the things we're here to talk about, amongst all of these other incredible tangents, is Way of X Number 4 by the crack team of Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn. What I love the most about this title is it's a lack of fear, right? One of the things this book does the best is it takes characters that you perhaps didn't know you loved and reminds you all of the reasons that you do right? And for me, that is best exemplified through the potentiality of the enjoyment of Onslaught. I've personally never really been a fan of the idea of the character. I like things about the era. I like things about the execution. And of course, things about the setup were a lot of fun. Somebody kicked the juggernaut's ass so goddamn hard. He crossed states. That's pretty cool. But the idea of Onslaught being truly engaging, is kind of new to me. Now, I wonder for you guys, do you have a similar reaction to something about House of X? I mean, I think we all came into this, you know, dicks out for Nightcrawler. But I think now we're standing at a place where this book is as much Legion's as it is Kurt's. And I'm wondering if there has been a big surprise for you guys four issues into this blessed and cursed experiment by Cy and Bob that just the, the moment that really, or the idea that really just hits you the hardest that you didn't expect.
1: I will have to say that I'm just absolutely giddy over the fact that we're starting to get an explanation for why all of these mutants are acting so uncharacteristically aggressive. And You're excited that we're going to get an
0: explanation for X-Force. I see. I see. Yes.
1: Yes. (laughs) And, I I mean... I don't have any real experience with Onslaught. I don't have much experience with most of the cast in this book, but this is hitting pretty much everything that I've been hoping for since House and Powers of X.
2: I think just like most of the titles after Coxpox was launched, Way of X, like what I thought it was going to be and what it really seems to be are vastly different. And I'm actually I appreciate that in this in this case because a lot of people were really you know focused on the idea of uh, of a new mutant religion. Well, it really has hasn't been that much about that. That might have been kind of almost a, a starting off point for Nightcrawler as a character and and his journey throughout the series, but I don't think that's really where we have been uh, overall, and I, I I really enjoyed that fact. I love, love, love seeing Legion used. I became a huge fan of Legion in uh, X-Men Legacy. I just thought that the places that we went with the character were just so fascinating, and I finally like really enjoyed him. And so I'm happy to see him back, and kind of that uh, personality coming through.
3: Cy Spurrier and Bob Quinn are doing their gosh darn hardest to make me like Pixie, and I have to say, the Pixie prop Propaganda is working, because I really did go into this with a preconceived notion of I'm not going to like Pixie. But here I am, thinking, huh, I like her. She's actually a fun character.
0: I like seeing her in things, and I think her dynamic with Nightcrawler works.
2: Yes, another convert.
0: <laughs> and, you know, there is something about, uh, like, as somebody who and you can go on my Insta, and you can go on my Twitter, and you can see it. I have this lovely, pointy, very elf-like, very Spock-like ear that I was born with. You know, I, I came out a little bit cooler than everyone else i guess and you know seeing all of these pointy ear bastards get their moment pixie nightcrawler megan to an extent it's actually been kind of it's silly but there is something about the subtly non-human looking mutants starting to embrace the difference of their subtle non-human lookingness Right. Something I really love about Pixie is she was always meant to represent sort of an accident. Right. Like Pixie came about in the I God, I c I don't think I talk about any fucking run the way I talk about the Nunzio and we're new X-Men. Like I feel like it just comes up so much because that is the era with the most kids that have been pilfered for other titles and I mean pilfered in like a loving way you know sort of like you know not not colonizing pilfered but like pilfered right you know so one of the things I think about is how Pixie was one of the characters in the yearbook they were really excellent writers in terms of almost like a Chekhov's gun understanding of the universe where if there was a character in the background they had to fit into this understanding of who the characters in the background were you couldn't just draw somebody into the background they had to come from this, this list of characters and ultimately we wound up with the year Book special that clarified who all of these characters were. It not only gave depth to a number of them, but provided character code names. And like one of the things was, in some ways, there was kind of like a juvenilia to it. There was this inherent sense of um, like kind of like a almost like a mercurial whim. Of it, Like, it was just like, oh, we we came up with this cool name and this cool power set and look at this picture we put it to. And like, you know, what was really great was that's a great launching point. And so many talented writers have come on since. And I think Pixie, for all of the ways that she was kind of like, maybe perhaps a little bit too on the nose, a manic Pixie girl, right, in in a lot of ways, and she hit it just the most annoying time for that. I think her success is a testament to great writers like Fender of the Pod, Mike Carey, or the great Catherine Eminen. And I think it is a success unto itself that she has survived so long and writers are still eager to use her. I know that Joe Glass, when he appeared, said that Pixie is one of the characters he's most looking forward to working with one day if he gets his hand on the X-Men. I know Scotty Young said that was one of the characters he enjoyed redesigning. So I love that we're taking this time to spotlight some Pixie. Now, Dante, you brought up my boy, my main squeeze, my my sweet, sweet honeyfly, my David, and it's hard hard for me to separate my idea of my love for David from my interpretation of Bill Sienkiewicz's deformation of figure, right? Like, I sort of need that surrender of visual understanding. Take me someplace that's inspired by peyote and some old gods. That's where I want to go to see Legion. And something Bob Quinn has very much is a very romanticized, sort of bubbly atmosphere. You said that you're enjoying seeing Legion. I want to know, is part of your enjoyment of who Legion has become at this point that he's perhaps a little bit more of a linear, defined character? Or is it more about Cy Spurrier's reinterpretation of what had been seen as an involvement of mental illness as power and taking it somewhere a bit more concrete in character? Or am I just off base and I should shut the fuck up and let you answer?
2: I think it might be a combination of both. I think it's hard to define. Yeah. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> I just think I think it's hard to define at this point, because really, for me, it's about the journey that I've seen the character go through. And I haven't, I haven't read maybe as much of Legion as you have. But I mean, the what really sticks in my head, again, is X-Men legacy and that journey, seeing his relationship with Blindfold. I mean, I thought that really helped to find the character in a way that we hadn't seen before. Because, you know, with Legion, you, you don't really think of him with as far as like relationships with other people, right? It's It's really about Legion and the relationships with the people inside his head. So having having him develop a relationship, you know, with someone else and finding something that he cares about, I think really helps for me liken the character. I mean, to to really enjoy and to relate to him. And so seeing seeing how I mean I really feel like we're, you know, we're kind of continuing that journey in Way of X with Legion in a lot of ways.
0: And I love that answer, especially because, you know, you define Legion as A crisis of self, not a crisis of other right and we're going to talk about one of the very few crises of other that Legion has and he has it time and time again and I think Cy Spurrier said it best in two sentences but I want to know you know Jonah you've read a little bit of David not a whole lot but I know you've covered all four issues of this title and Kyle I know that David unfortunately falls into that sort of dangerous Marvel Unlimited hole for you in a lot of ways how did you guys feel about this sort of I mean widescreen primetime ready to go Hollywood interpretation of Legion. I mean, he's not Dan Stevens. No one is Dan Stevens. Fuck yourself for even thinking you could compare Dan Stevens to anyone. He's perfect. Sorry. I really love Legion on FX. So, what did you guys think of this Legion? Dan Stevens is
1: perfect. Yes. Dan Stevens is perfect. He is. He really is. He really is. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Legion. the, the Legion show was really all that i've had experience with um i had heard about legion and i i don't think i was prepared for how this version of legion is coming across and how he actually feels so focused on keeping onslaught from coming back and it's it's kind of thrown my expectations for the character um well to the wind by expectations bye (laughs) now jonah my expectation is that you're gonna have
0: some very well kind of take on it and i'm really excited to hear it i want to know how does this this idea of a character more fully realized than he's ever been play to somebody who doesn't have as much experience with the iterations that felt maybe less complete first thing i have to compliment front of
3: the pod bob on is the design of david looking fully ready to join the dragon ball z universe between the really spiky hair that's always up and the
0: orange pants he just looks like a dragon ball z character and we love that he's cosplaying every day cosplay Um, your way Every Day with Bob Quinn.
3: We talked about it before, but what I really do appreciate about this reincarnation of David is that he's no longer being used as a plot device. Many of the major, don't want to say rulers, but figurative heads of the Krakoans, their kids are really often used as plot devices and ways to drive a story in a way that specific characters shouldn't. Um, They can be the inciting incident to an event, but it feels like they are the event. Event, and it's not always fair to those characters because those characters should be able to stand on their own and be individuals.
0: Wow. What you just said is truer than I think you even realize. because essentially, even though they were both manipulated into these situations... Legion is the cause of Age of Apocalypse, and Wanda is the cause of House of M. And those are sort of two of the best-known long-form iterations of AU parallels based around the sort of uh, hyper-narcissistic parentages. So, like, that's a really beautiful point. I love how succinctly that illustrates the idea that these characters really frequently lack agency
3: yeah and like even other characters who still haven't been developed as much but are getting a different like you look at proteus proteus mm. when his first incarnation was the inciting incident he was event he was mutant X. and i don't want anyone to throw bottles at me but you know franklin uh, franklin franklin <laughs> oh, oh, oh boy Woof. Rar. <laughs> So it's just something that I'm appreciative of that the entire art team is doing is giving David the chance to stand on his own and have his own thoughts of being an actual character and seeing his complex relationship with Charles has been very fascinating, especially in this issue. So I I am, it's something that I'm most excited to continue to look forward to.
0: Now, a joke I make a lot that, you know, it's not so much a joke as it is, you can either laugh at what the world has given you or you can cry, is that I don't have Daddy issues in the least. I might have issues with my dad, but I don't really have daddy issues, right? And that's because my father spent my lifetime acknowledging me, encouraging me, interacting with my interests, not pretending he didn't know me, not locking me in an asylum on a small island and giving me to his former mistress. You know, none of the. not letting me leave the fucking house with that hair. So I think one of the things that really strikes me about how much I loved issue four of Way of X was that issue four of Way of X was able to so succinctly sum up so much of my childhood understanding of Legion and Charles, right? Like, I was lucky enough to read the New Mutant Slumber Party issue when it was seminal, and I mean that both literally and figuratively. And so. The Sinkevich era of New Mutants was super formative on me as a person. And for that reason, the idea of Legion and Charles and this understanding of fallen patriarchal duty in the face of being everyone's father, he couldn't be father to his actual child. In that run, he is trying to help save Rogue, but he's really not that interested in David, even in that three-parter, right? And it all comes down to one line that I just, it, it fucked me up so right. On page 15 of the digital, David says to Charles, I'm afraid it's worse than that, Dad. I love you. I just don't know why. And I was like, well, okay. I felt that in my asshole. What? And it was one of the most exploratory, short-form narrative moments in, in just the history of these characters, whether it's Charles removing his helmet, or in many ways, Legion lowering the mask and showing just how far he'll go. Did anybody else feel that the idea, the ideology of fathers and sons was explored superbly
1: in Nine Panel Grid here? I definitely agree with that. The tension between the two of them and the amount of honesty that legion put forth when explaining how he feels regarding charles that that was just like it hit just right for that was
0: that was so much ruth right like for those of you who read x-men legacy that was ruth showing through in david like his ability to heal and 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 move forward it was it was beautiful
2: I think something for me, the way this worked, I'm going to liken this to a personal experience. I never came out to my family. They asked me if I was gay. (laughs) So they kind of took that conversation in a way that I wouldn't have ever done. But at that time in my life, being gay, like that was what preoccupied my mind. That was the focus that was and that was a hard conversation that I, I you know, didn't know how to have with my family. And it wasn't until something else happened in my life that kind of put that part of my life into perspective that when my mom sat me down and asked me if I was gay, it was just, yeah, I'm gay. It was like, it was like nothing. It was like, a, it was almost like it had less of an oomph, but only because in my perspective, like the that subject, that conversation, it was in a different place. And I almost feel like what we're seeing with David is kind of a similar thing. Like he's never had a great relationship with his dad, and, you know, maybe he couldn't have had this conversation before, but now he's focused on other things, on bigger things, you know, and he is doing something important with trying to stop onslaught. And so being able to be this honest in that moment is kind of like letting go of, of the difficulty of, of that relationship with his dad. It's like, okay, you know, I can just let it all out there because it's not the most pressing thing to me anymore. So for me, that's that was kind of my big takeaway with this moment was like, he's moved on in a way that allows him to be honest.
0: I'm sitting over here being like, well, you know, blah, 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 blah. I felt that in my asshole. And Dante comes in and he just lays out Torch Song Trilogy for you. And that was, dude, thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like it's really, it's really amazing that you made that connection. Like, I'm trying to find the right way to, like, it really was an incredible story. Thank you so much for sharing that. How often am I at a loss for words, right? So like... Thank you. And, you know, Jonah, I want to ask you how this played for you. How do you feel about the interpretation of sort of this sense of absentee celebrity father playing out against an almost infamous son?
3: Well, I think Charles has many more things to apologize for, not just including the things he did to David. But it's a very difficult conversation that these two characters had to have. Especially if David's now going to be running around on Krakoa and actually trying to fix things, unlike his father. It's really something that I appreciate that the team was willing to go there for. I think that it's something that needed to happen. I think it did need to be addressed, this complex uh, emotions that are surrounded by both of them, where Charles has, you know, a lot of guilt and not really a father so in the sense of so much that he, you know, donated his sperm. And I say it that way. He didn't really raise David and David, you know, having a lot of things to deal with on top of his own powers, on top of his own mental disorders has an absentee father who's basically fathering other people. It's something that really was uh, a very important conversation to have. And it's something that I, like I said before, I continue to look forward to, to see. And I really am very fascinated and interested to see where it will go
0: and i love that we were able to talk about fathers and sons and sort of from the discussion of fathers and sons to sort of like a more like in the name of the father and in the son sort of a position. I don't know if it's that I was, you know, raised traumatically Catholic, or if it's just sort of the way that media has a habit of making us think that Nightcrawler's Catholicism is such a defining characteristic of who he is. But if nothing else, we can say that Nightcrawler lives his life by a series of tenets and morals. And something I love that you said, Dante, was early on, you had said that you felt that this book had been pitched to be Nightcrawler Found's Mutant Religion, and ultimately it's sort of been a little bit more, kind of like a pub book. This is almost like everybody getting drunk at the pub, it's just on a bigger scale, right? And one of the things that for me has been a driving point in this book is the comparative nature of characters. They take very different people and they put them on the stage and they say, This is what you think you know of them, and they ask you to confront some heavy ideals. One of the scenes that I thought played out the strongest in this book was one of the scenes that that perhaps without Bob Quinn's deft and expert pen might have been a little bit harder to follow. In the Nightcrawler-Fabian Cortez-Gorgon scenario, we saw three very different characters explored in some way we saw nightcrawler a representation of morality we saw fabian cortez a representation of immorality someone who specifically knows what they are doing and chooses to do the wrong motherfucking thing every motherfucking time any fucking way and we saw gorgon who beyond just one of my favorite characters in the wolverine you know great adamantium file cabinet is really proved himself to be one of the most dynamically fascinating elements of the hickmanization of the X-Men. Now, while this didn't necessarily explore the sense of Gorgon's amorality, it did give us an opportunity to remember why it is we hate, hate, hate Fabian Cortez so much that I secretly did a little clap about it. In the I don't know if you guys heard I was going hate, hate, hate. Because Fabian Cortez is everything wrong with Krakoa. As a matter of fact, you know, he's no better than Sabretooth who was mentioned just to kind of remind us the level of depravity that we're discussing here. Did anybody else find the moral questions both posed and answered by the Nightcrawler, Gorgon, Cortez scene as dramatically important to the central idea of the Krakoan age as I did?
2: I absolutely think that this this scene did. You know, kind of going back to, you know, your reference of what I said, what I thought this book was going to be Uh, And what it really is, is kind of exploring the many things that are wrong with Krakoa and celebrating as much that, you know, that is right as well. But I think that this is just another great instance of reflecting on Krakoa as a society and how it's not quite defined well enough for these characters. I mean, Fabian, you know, is the is the perfect example of, well, I'm not breaking any laws, but he's obviously like a huge douchebag. Little shit mouth bitch. (laughs) And I mean, he's manipulating the situation to, I mean, for what purpose I couldn't really say other than to just be an asshole. So bitch. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so like, yeah, I, again, I think that this is what the book is doing and really highlighting for us and exploring with this current era. And I think that's super important, because, you know, it, it, as cool as, as, you know, the mutants having their own sovereign nation is like, there's not a whole lot more to it than having these three laws. And like, that, that's not enough for a society to really thrive and function. I mean, there's going to be issues. And that's what we consistently are seeing in this book is that those issues exist and somebody does need to address them
0: the terms and f- the the terms and conditions on downloading software can't print out to 134 pages and Krakoa self-run with three laws and a bunch of serial killers
3: I like that they were trying to ask moral questions and I am somebody who loves digging into philosophy and to thinking of moral quandaries of like, huh, well, is there an actual moral answer for this? Some of the things mostly didn't jive because I felt like some of them didn't hold weight to me. Like Fabian, just because Gorgon technically kills people doesn't mean that you wouldn't be put on trial for inciting this slash also not stopping him. There was a couple of logistical errors that I was like okay he's just dumb he's not actually thinking about this but the actual moral questions or maybe it is the moral questions themselves don't matter but it's more so talking about the state of moral quandaries in general that they're important to think about and there's something that they're important to that drive people to act in certain ways because everybody will act on their own morals no matter what laws they're really supposed to follow everybody has a set of their own morals that nine times out of ten I'll, I'll say fall in line with one another but there might be very specific specific. specific things that people don't agree upon or morally at least. And it is something to think about and expand upon, especially in this um, post-sword Hox era that I am really excited to see be delved into more about this book.
1: (sighs) Okay. Trying to figure out how to explain how I feel because. Miami has such appeal. Yes. It's a great place to get a seafood
0: meal.
4: (laughs) Miami.
2: I feel like your sigh spoke volumes,
4: Kyle.
0: So I could be like, Kyle, that was the heaviest oh boy without an oh boy in the history of the show. I just want to be sure that you're not about to melt.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to melt. (laughs) So I really enjoyed this exploration into morality and the ethics of using one's superpowers. I really, 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 really hate Fabian Cortez.
0: More than I hate most, like, I don't hate Latino characters, if I can help it, because I'm that guy.
1: But, like, I really hate him. he, He just, he has, as of right now, he has not shown any kind of desire to... Do anything good for Kirkoa. He's only focused on his own uh, well-being, his own power, I guess. And he he shows that through his bigoted use of the, the word flat scans.
0: Which is such, like, a nine like, every now and then, like, I mean, I understand that there are certain gay terms that I perhaps use with a little bit too much plum, and I'm working on removing those from my my lexicon, but, like, uh, anybody here who has ever been called, like, a really antiquated gay term where you're like, wait, no, for real, that's what you're going with? Or it's that scene from One Day at a Time, which is the truest Latino experience in the history of the American people, and it's Rita Moreno trying not to say a derogatory term that's just not the worst derogatory Term for Latinos anymore. And I feel like flat scan is just so unimaginative. Just go call me a fudge packer, I guess. Like <laughs> it's just so unimaginative. Yeah. I guess fudge
1: packer was just that good. You're welcome. It was just that good, yes. Thank just you. That good. Um so this is something that hasn't really been addressed since Hoxpox started why it's okay to use your powers in certain situations and not in other situations and I agree with Dante that three three laws aren't enough to make us a, a society so we we have to have some kind of way to regulate how all of the mutants interact with the rest of the world using their powers and in such a way that it's beneficial to the world not detrimental to it
2: can i just add that when i was listening to you two talking about fabian you know what it made me realize is that obviously there are things we know about the character he's very entitled but it also kind of made me think of you know if you ever had like high school bullies or maybe even younger than that and like they're just these people who are stuck in a certain time of their life and even even now like decades later like they still are exactly the same and like the fact that fabian cortez is still saying something from the 90s like flat scan just made me think like he's just so stuck in his own way and how he wants things for himself and he doesn't give a shit about anyone else or you know like advancing mutants as a society like it's all about him uh, where's when his he... bus yeah we when... just
0: get hit with a bus like regina george <laughs> it would change everything
2: I mean that only works to a certain degree because he still gets resurrected for some reason. But you know, it's just interesting that he keeps popping up. You know, when he showed up in Sword, I thought like is he going to get redemption? You know, like that w- I guess that would be kind of an interesting way to go, but no, I mean he's still the same, you know, jerkwad and he's not getting he's not getting any kind of praise for what he's doing and he's being petulant about it, but like he doesn't really deserve it. He's just an asshole.
0: You know, not everybody gets to be I had to resist from screaming it
2: again <laughs> 100% expected you to add in your uh, I don't. I can't even say what you were saying it was just so loud and quick and abrupt
0: little shit mouth bitch um, so no. Uh. yeah so I, <laughs> I
2: I need that as my ringtone on my phone and uh, anytime you text or call me that's what I want to hear
0: it'll just be me screaming angrily little shit mouth bitch yeah, yeah. I agree and, and you know you said something that really kind of blew my mind and I get it I hadn't even thought of it that way this is an age of like you know there's a joke in one of the final episodes of Modern Family where Claire says to, and Claire has openly regrets being a bully, like she openly regrets being a bully and she says to Mitchell, who says something super queer, she says I can't believe you survived the golden age of bullying and like, there must really be people who miss that that sort of interaction, that sort of the ability to lord power over other people like they have to exist I'm sure and Fabian Cortez is such a great example of somebody who doesn't have that anymore because as terrific as Fabian Cortez is in Fabian Cortez's own mind he lacks a certain, you know, he's an agitator. He's at best an agonist, right? But he does not have some innate, incredible ability himself that he can do without the help of somebody actually fucking fantastic. Fabian Cortez is just sitting there stroking a limp dick, sadly on a park bench, like some sort of God awful Moira McTaggart style flasher. And I just don't think it works. And you know, until we talked about it this way, I guess I'd never realized that a bully can't be a bully without a victim. And Fabian Cortez is defined by his ability to victimize other with victimize others within the context of both his abilities and his psychological mind games. Fabian Cortez literally cannot exist without the other. And it's such a fantastic reason that he keeps popping back up. And I never would have gotten there without this conversation. Hmm. Wow.
1: Oh,
4: yeah, yeah that like
0: makes so, a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> right? Yeah. Now I have to ask about the, hold on. I have to count. Hold on. Wait, no, I need a minute. I can't count today. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I guess it's nine letters. I have to ask about the nine lettered super God in the room. All right. So I'm here for onslaught, I guess, but I don't understand why it has to be David. I mean, I do understand why it has to be David, but I don't understand why it has to be David. Like David believes in the idea of the sins of the father right, and I think one of the reasons that David as a bastard child, and I use the term like a bastard, but I use it like funny a bastard (laughs) Like I, I don't go around calling the children of unwed parents a bastard or anything, but I do think that David represents a person who believes he is a mistake of his fathers, and now he's out there trying to fix them. In so many ways Onslaught, while not a result of Age of Apocalypse, is a manifestation of the ultimate truth of Age of Apocalypse Which is that without the dichotomy of Charles and Eric, the idea of the dream can't exist because a dream is also a nightmare at all times, operating in polarity. And I'm so here for David versus Onslaught. I understand that the title will be relaunching. That makes this the anti-penultimate issue. The title will be relaunching around that name, Onslaught. How do you guys feel about conjuring up one of the terms? I mean, it's like this Sons of Vengeance and Clone Saga those are like the three words that can make the Marvel stock dry up. And yet they're here trying it in a pretty brazen method. Dante, I know you have experience with comics that I guess for the most part, you haven't done a lot of Onslaught. You've been part of a bit more of the like aware of the dangers of Onslaught era. How does it feel re-venturing into a sort of shaky territory?
2: I don't even know how to, to approach that question. <laughs> like Onslaught? what you know i i remember i remember those issues i remember when juggernaut got punched clear across the country or you know it was the best of, like that was i mean i was so excited i was like holy shit this is gonna be intense like what can do this to the juggernaut right and then it turned into this whole big messy thing and now i have like i have a lot of fear <laughs> By anything that involves online. I mean, <laughs> Heroes Reborn, I don't know why we're reusing that title... <laughs> Because the miniseries was super
0: fun, but it had nothing to do with it.
2: <laughs> but anyway, anyway, so so I initially I, I was kind of like eh, onslaught, like I don't know if I want to go there. But I have to say that this is, I mean, it feels like this is a different take, you know, um, well, slight slightly different, and it, it's a little more. I feel like onslaught is more menacing the way that they're doing it because he's instead of this big bad that's like punching characters, um, he's he's kind of what what onslaught seemed like on, from. the the very beginning of his uh, of that era in X Comics is he was this manipulator and he had other people doing things and he was messing with people and I think like there might have even been an entire fight that the X Men didn't actually have but it was all in their minds and so I feel like we're kind of it's kind of going back to the roots of what Onslaught is and uh, as a psychic parasite and I really I dig that and I'm I mean I I'm excited <laughs> I'm always excited because I love things that are shaking things up but I am excited to see where they go. With with this because it is it is fascinating and and onslaught is you know he is taking advantage of the things that are already wrong on the island and he is you know just fucking things even more and I don't know something about that is like I mean obviously I want all of my favorite mutants to have a happy life but that doesn't make for good drama <laughs> and it looks like it looks like onslaught will make for some good drama you know it's
0: it's the best negative criticism I've ever heard from Mark Brandanowitz you really needed a very normal very dry very real government not want to be a bureaucrat government employee to make the show seem more realistic but god then that guy sucks
1: uh onslaught I mean I'm a blank slate with onslaught I have, yes I'm uh, wait no what no ha 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 funny <laughs> <laughs> I don't have that kind of baggage from historical reading so i'm kind of waiting to see where things go with this the the idea of onslaught kind of hanging in the background waiting for charles to become aware of him is really intriguing and the fact that it's it's so powerful that it's affecting mutants all over the island. It's yeah. I I need to I need to know how this is going to progress. It's delectably unnerving. Yes, very unnerving.
2: Baggage is absolutely the right term, though. I mean, I think that you like anybody who has read Onslaught before. I think it's I think it's pretty split. Like either you thought it was super cool, or you're just like over it. Like you don't want more Onslaught because it just ended up being this weird crazy thing and time in comics and like and he was that source of it all but um so i'm I'm really jealous that you have kind of a a fresh introduction to the character that's not tainted in some We're way calling it a
0: blank slot
2: a blank slot i am in. Oh. i am i am so jealous of your <laughs> blank slot
0: <laughs> and speaking of our favorite blank slots jonah What do you think of the return of who really is, like, and I mean this, the worst parts of the X Men?
3: (laughs) Uh, to to go back a second to something you said earlier, I believe what you're saying is that Onslaught can be a sweet dream or a beautiful nightmare. Either way, I don't want to wake up.
0: I think what I meant was it's a slot dream or a beautiful nightmare. Slotmare. Anyway. <clears throat> <laughs> Neither one of us is funny, but at least we have each other.
2: Uh, please, <laughs> please. No slot shaming. Thank you. No
0: slot. Sh- except Dan slot. Please keep going. Yeah. Uh,
3: I guess we're not going to the casino to play the slots. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> More importantly, I also don't come with the Onslaught baggage. I, this is my first introduction to this character. Did not know he existed. Didn't know anything about it. Um, in theory, it should work uh, uh, on paper. Unfortunately, not on comic paper. It should work. The idea of the name Onslaught. It's actually a really cool badass name for a villain and or entity. I like it. Uh, it says everything you need to know about it. And it's just, you know, a fun word to say. Onslaught. But then you get to the creation of Onslaught and you're like, oh, it's a little fuzzy. Okay, I mean, the manifestation of, like, all the bad parts of Charles and Magneto. Sure. And then you get to the stories from what I've heard and you're like, oh, I guess. Eh? So, I'm more interested to see how they're taking something that historically, at least from my understanding, hasn't done well and isn't liked that much in giving it this new life and giving it a new story and having old readers hold hopefully enjoy seeing onslaught in this and having new readers enjoy the appearance of this character that they don't know anything about. Yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Now guys, I have a question. Do we have any final thoughts on way of X number four before we wrap things up and get excited about issues five and six?
1: So I've been reading a lot of Thor lately and the final page with Legion kind of, sending the the gate seed through his head to create the temple it was making me think of a creation of the world tree
0: Mm, yeah the the rebirth of the odin spark yeah i very much get that
2: well now that you've mentioned that kyle too you know just thinking about in planet size x-men when (laughs) monarch (laughs) team (laughs) empreg Yes, yes, when Gene Inquire impregnated Monarch with an idea and he birthed the new space station. Um I just I just love that things are happening happening on such a grand scale. <laughs> it's a little ridiculous but we love ridiculous i feel like
0: I- agreed we need ridiculous for this era to thrive i have to give two shout outs to two characters that i think
3: really made this book for me my number one obviously nightcrawler the entire scene with fabian cortez was actually really fascinating and fantastic and how clever kurt is and making a fool of himself to get people to stop thinking about gorgon so that gorgon repose himself uh i'm also happy to see him because after he tried to fuck some rocks i really haven't seen him post ten of swords my so it's really nice to uh <laughs> to see like hey at least he's not trying to fuck a rock i believe the phrase
0: is get his rocks off
3: and then the second character I have to give a shout out to because she's so badass and I
0: love her and I want her in everything and I'm really happy that we got to see her with Suraya. Um, oh yeah, you're right. How did we go this entire issue without talking about Dust's amazing contribution? Thank you for bringing that up.
3: Suraya is everything. She's perfection incarnate, and yeah, I just need to see more of her. So and seeing her here be not only a in control but kind of just kind of owning everybody was just amazing.
0: I agree. This was a spectacular performance from an amazing character who, while initially appearing in my precious New X-Men, did go on to find prominent success under the pen of Christina Weir and Nunzio Filippis. who, if I got paid per time I plugged those guys, uh, I'd own a lot of Apple stock. (laughs)
2: Uh, yeah, Jonah, I have to agree with you. And so happy that you did mention those characters as well. Because again, that's that's something that I'm enjoying about this era of books as well, is that you are seeing characters from other stories and, you know, kind of their story might be picked up, or at least we're seeing them again, you know? And I think I think a lot of people had that question. What happened to Gorgon after Ten of Swords? We got like little uh, hints of, you know, information about he came back different, you know, after resurrection, things like that. But we haven't really explored that. And so seeing seeing that continued in another book and seeing, you know, like that, I think this book has also been really great about bringing back characters that we don't either haven't been seeing or don't see enough of. And I, I appreciate that.
0: Hey, everybody, Nico here again. Now, in this next segment, myself, Kevo, Nathan, and Rod take a look at Black Knight's number three and four by, once again, Cy Spurrier, this time with Sergio Davila. Now, this story is a little bit more the magic and Marvel side of things, and it's been an interesting transformation because Kevo and I covered Black Knight's appearances alongside Captain Britain in Hulk Comic UK years ago on this show in its infancy. So it's fascinating to come back due on this character, especially before his transition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We hope you guys enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome. I can't even do it because it's the third time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Exit Podcast, the show where we take a look at comics, mutants, magic, and marbles week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N.
5: And I guess I am the Mary Marvelous husband to Nico. Kevo, you can find me at Kevo, really? K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y.
6: And I'm Nathan, and you can find me shipping Cersei and Dane on Twitter and Instagram at DesireeLay.
5: And
7: that makes me Rod at RodCon tama R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-A-G. I did it. Oh, I'm so smart. Yay! I am <laughs> so smart.
0: Dane Whitman, not having the best day any Black Knight has ever had. And considering the number of bad days this Black Knight has had, we're talking about some stupendously severe situations. We are here today to discuss Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade. And if you ask me, quite another number of ebony items as well. By Cy Spurrier, who right now is rising to significance again in the world of X-Men after a number of successful turns in the pages of X-Men over the years whether it's X-Club or X-Men Legend, X-Men Legacy, sorry starring Legion. Size Burrier has been a huge part of the X-Men narrative for a long time and now here he is on Black Knight. These are issues three and four of the series, the anti Penultimate and the Penultimate. These both have art by Sergio Davila and these represent a significant moment of change for Dane who I feel like has spent the last, gosh, when was the crossing? And that was like 2000, that was 94, right? So he spent the last like 20-something years in this endless holding cycle and somebody seems to be trying to finally move him forward but there's there's an unceremonious chaos to the book that if you're somebody who thrives on the disreality of a size Spurrier egocentric solo character narrative this probably works for you. If you're somebody who likes your characters likable probably not. So guys, I want Want to know whether it's nathan and rod two of our most consistent collaborators and voices or kevo technically our first ever uh co-host how do you guys feel about what has become one of the most polarizing stories to come out of marvel featuring the black knight in some time
7: before these four issues came out i didn't really care about the black knight i just remembered his name before we recorded so there you go <laughs> <laughs> but cy does good with making me care about characters and and I feel like a lot of writers at this day and age, it could be biased because I'm reading at this day and age, but a lot of writers right now are making characters that a lot of people probably didn't necessarily like and are making them likable, or at least care about them if not likable. And I feel like I care about the Black Knight now more while reading this story. Like I know that he struggled, that he has like a mental disorders, that he's trying his best, even though like the power he get is like going against his disorder. It's just like, it's a really like heartfelt story that you want to root for even though you know he's gonna fail. And I kind of like that.
6: (laughs) It's so hard, right? Because like, I I grew up on The Gathering. I grew up on even like old 80s back issues of like, you know, the Assault on Mount Olympus Avengers. So like, he was like so huge and big in those. And like, he was together and like, yeah, his sword took out Marina and he got cursed from it. He was together as a hero. And I'm over the last 20 years since then, he's really fallen apart. And you're kind of like, what's going on here? I see the pieces trying to come back together. I don't know that I love the Mordred rapping in it, but like, you know, at least there's something coming out of it.
0: You know, I was pretty shocked when I opened the page and Mordred was like, yo, 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 I'm old and British. I was also pretty surprised (laughs) by Mordred rapping. (laughs) Kevo.
5: I wouldn't have been.
0: Kevo, please save me.
5: That feels like the kind of diva thing that Mordred would do. (laughs) Yes, it (laughs) does! He would be annoyed when you weren't impressed. He worked really hard on it. He's like, I'm dropping my latest (laughs) mixtape. With that hair and that suit, I mean, what else do you expect? Most of my experience with Black Knight before this arc, I mean, all of my experience with Black Knight before this arc was the classic stuff that we read for Captain Britain. So this is very, very different from the character that I knew from that stuff in terms of... Of the heaviness and the much richer, more developed mythology. You know, it's not even just that he's a bummer all the time that makes it hard. I'm enjoying a lot of it. I really am. And the surprise appearance from Thor definitely uh, knocked me off my feet. I I was saying earlier, I think it's really funny and yet considerate that they condensed his entire appearance into one issue, like as if this was a television show and they could only pay him for the one episode.
0: (laughs) Well, and I love that you put it that way because in a lot of ways, that is kind of the format the comics have taken because then there's one issue that they need to run by the Thor office. There's just one issue that needs to worry about having Thor character models. So if gosh forbid that, you know, the artists fall off schedule, it's not like Marvel has ever pushed their artists so hard that they fall off schedule. Never. 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 No
6: they would never do that. No. Oh, so is that why Merlin hasn't actually shown up yet?
0: <laughs> they want to make sure that he doesn't have to be paid for too many issues.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have to run it by the ex-offices, I guess. Do they own him now?
0: and you know my question is who is in charge of the character model for Merlin because we've seen Merlin look so many different ways and who's in charge of the character model for like because I feel like Dane has one very specific look and Sir Percy has one very different look and I feel like Sir Percy and Dane both are pretty consistent to who they're supposed to be but I feel like characters like Mordred, Mordred just sort of looks like um like a greasy guy that you shouldn't buy a ticket off of outside of a concert
5: he looks like an off-brand prince valiant he looks like every single arthurian dude who looks like kind of skeevy
0: yeah he's got a greasy bowl cut and i'm just not here for it give me a vandal
7: savage vibe yeah oh yeah he does look like vandal savage i've never seen this character before for this so I don't know what he looked like. <laughs> You've been spared. <laughs> i I don't. I was like when y'all were like, I was like, is this not a new character? Oh,
0: my bad. Yep. No, <laughs> Mordred is sort of. I mean, he's a classic Arthurian legend figure. He's sort of like. He's exactly what's implied in these two issues. So essentially, the plot of these two issues, just to sum it all up, is someone's messing with the Black Knight's powers. Oh shit! It's Mordred. No one saw that coming. Black Knight fights Mordred. Black Knight's losing to the darkness and side of himself. Oh no. Black Knight goes down. Black Knight goes down. Oh wait, hold um, on.
6: What he was that? Didn't know I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> but
0: this does introduce something that I really enjoy. Number one, there is a, an infusion of spectacular female characters, whether it's Jax or Elsa Bloodstone, and the idea that Elsa wants another Bloodstone so she can be Elsa Bloodstones. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I thought was really interesting is the four ebony items. We start to think that they're like super magical ancient artifacts. It turns out there's like just like a forge making ebony items. And I love this idea that Mordred is like if I can't be the Black Knight, I'll be the Black Crown Hover! I'll be the Black Queen! Yeah. and a, You know, Whoa. a Dark Queen shall rule with the ring. And it's that scene where, uh, where so uh, Tilda is looking yeah. all sorts of like Captain EO, right? <laughs> and so I found myself in love with the idea that the mythos could be an inherently made better by creating a jumping on point that separates the old from the new you know kevo you have 60 something issues of experience rod you said that you feel like you have very few and nathan you have a really strong knowledge of his 80s and 90s material and i feel like this idea of the many ebony items the ebony crown the ebony dagger the ebony chalice i'm not saying that i exactly need black knight and the lords of ebony but Mm. i do feel like there's something really cool in a way that's not exactly give everybody a green lantern ring a blue lantern ring an orange lantern ring it, it's a little bit newer and a little bit more customized to the user how do you guys feel about this reinterpretation of the black knight lore which was always about one guy can't one guy is special enough one guy is sacred enough and now it's sort of like grab a cup try the hat how Pick do you guys feel yeah right how do you guys feel about this
6: it's like extra special Captain Britain. It's like you can have the sword or the cup or the shield <laughs> or, the or the staff or the necklace or the brooch.
0: And come in this weekend and you can get three shirts or two pairs of <laughs> socks here at Joseph A
4: Bank. I can't believe Buy them all the things.
5: Dollars. I can't believe that all the things Nathan said just now are real though. Like you didn't make any yeah. of them up. Those are all Captain Britain accessories. Like they just love accessories in England mythos i guess.
0: Don't forget he had that badass boomerang. I <laughs> never knew about
5: it. I believe Captain, you.
0: They didn't have the ability to dis- like to make his other items. So when the magazine oh. did a giveaway it was a pop out boomerang. Oh. I
6: thought you were talking about Megan for a second, and I was like, hey, hold
0: on. <laughs> no, no, I, I said boomerang, not boom ass girl.
6: Okay.
7: <laughs> I do like all the things, though, but I, I feel like, especially with the, the cover of the last issue, isn't number five the last issue? Yeah. The number five is the last issue, it's going to be concluded. Um, so in the cover, you saw you, me, you know, it's going to be continued because it's Marvel, it's never going to end. But. <laughs> <laughs> but, I like that he has the crown. And I like that in the, in the cover, Jax has the sword, because you might get resurrected. Because I really like her. I don't want her to stay dead. Um, but I hope in the end, like either they're like teaming up together or like she has the sword now and he has everything else. And he can be like, kind of like move on and make the magic his own, you know? Because he broke like the Merlin's curse to it or whatever. And like, he doesn't have to be angry all the time anymore. And this can be like his own thing now.
5: I really agree. I really like the idea of sharing the burden because it doesn't erase the darkness that he's going to have to feel and embrace in any way but it makes it a little less intolerable and they mm. basically spent the entire arc wanting us like making us not want him to feel
6: alone and so that would be cool and you just, know he uh, should just team up with Excalibur like hello like she's got the sword and everything like yeah.
0: like she did like he did with new Excalibur for the Arthur arc uh, that Frank Thierry filled in on
4: mm. Yeah. but
0: you know Rod when you said I really hope that Jax comes back what if Elsa instead of resurrecting her father oh. does the right thing and resurrects Jax.
7: Yeah, because that was I feel like that was very out of character for Elsa just to leave. Bye. Because, I mean, so like, hard. yeah, I was like, she's selfish, but she's also, like, a good person. Completely. So, it's like, she's not going to be like, oh, well, there's, like, two evil people there. Well, I guess one, because she got the bloodstone, so the other one dissolved. Um, but That's she's like, there's it. this really, be- like, evil guy, powerful guy there. I'm not going to help. It's I don't care about him. I don't care about you. I have to go resurrect my dad because I'm an orphan.
5: I'm
6: like, why but you, you hate your dad.
0: your <laughs> dad. Why did you want him back?
5: And I, I want money or something?
0: Here's the thing. Her dad's pretty hot. So, I, mean, I it, yeah, but he is, you know he's, like,
5: he's hot and resourceful.
7: I get it. And it's her dad, so I get it. She wants family.
0: Oh, and it's her dad, I, too,
6: I guess. Yeah, yeah. I, but her dad being hot, she's not Kurt Wagner, okay? Like, come on. No. Man.
7: Like, she, she wants her dad because this is her dad. I get it. She, whatever. Elsa has trauma and daddy issues. She resolve them maybe I'll make her as a better character but I think you
0: mean she's not Morgan and Merlin. No yeah. uh, Morgan and <laughs> Arthur. I'm so sorry. The incest yeah. the incest sibs. Yeah
6: oh god yeah that's like built out
0: there. <laughs> Mordred's Mordred's uh, parents
6: like
4: in yeah the
5: book.
0: that's
6: <laughs> in the book. That's
5: specifically Arthurian legend as well. That's not like oh we did a thing for comics. Like that's Mordred is Arthur's bastard son with his own sister. I feel bad for this character there's there's literally no good incarnation of this character anywhere in fiction he's just always this sad angry figure. There is no Loki redemption for Mordred.
0: Kid Mordred starring now in The Young uh, The Young Masters of Evil.
6: Krim- alligator Mordred, like
0: oh, little alligator Mordred and Black Knight <laughs> Frog. Oh.
6: Aww. <laughs>
7: I think after this series though, we don't need him to be his arch-nemesis anymore. He can go. Away go no. He's kinda, he, He's kind of basic.
0: <laughs> he's basic. He looks like an extra in the Smells Like Teen Spirit video but now I just don't need it exactly. But what I thought was... I feel I feel I feel weird because it's a device I have specifically employed in my own comic, right? So as a writer of Kid Riot, one of the things I like to do is I like to um, use a lot of grid. I really like nine-panel grid. I like eight-panel grid, and I also love sacrificing the grid and having storytelling pages where it's about narrative. It's, it looks a little bit more like like a picture book or a folklore book. And yeah. I thought Cy Spurrier and Sergio. D'Avila's interpretation of the surrender of panel to the freeness of negative space was like if if they ultimately publish a Scarlet Witch Darkhold, I would love it to be by these guys. I thought some of the pages of narrative storytelling got very, very, very lost. Yeah, agree.
7: I can see that. I mean, I I feel like it might have even needed more of that. I feel like there was a point where this is too much words. This is too much words. Like, too
0: much. Yeah. Like, we,
7: like, I get like the history of England, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, we can do that in like two pages (laughs) and then we can move on. (laughs) Colonizer. <laughs> I know, I'm like, we can, we could. I like the history, or like the twist on mythological history. Like, I love that, but like, we don't need to tell it throughout the whole book and like o- over issue, over issue. Like, that's one of that's like probably my main gripe about all this. Everything else I, I really enjoy, but then I was just like, oh, we're going back in the past again. All right, Oof, well, let's, let's, what else are we learning? <laughs> <laughs>
0: and like, the people that know it, that it's kind of for, probably don't need it quite as much. And the people, mm that it's not for, probably don't want to feel like you're going after our toes with a sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. Now, Kevo, something that you mentioned in the green room, then you've mentioned on the first two episodes when we covered the first, we covered the King in Black special, and then we covered the first issue of the mini, and the second issue, you've commented that you specifically feel, perhaps that Cy Spurrier's narrative storytelling is here a little muddled under the weight of re-arguing Dane's importance in a way that Ultimately, reads as self-importance. Mm-hmm. How do you feel with this double block of issues? Because you talked about the King and Black special and issue one together, so you've talked about two issues twice now. How do these two issues, further into the miniseries, explore those ideas?
5: I would be hard-pressed to make too much of a judgment call on that without issue five and further understanding his intentions of just dropping the blade. I don't really understand what his plan was there yet. It feels like there is still yet a twist coming, or at least I hope. I hope there was a plan, (laughs) and I really hope that it's been a build-up to seeing him do something not selfish for once. Uh, But with that in mind, and with that hope in mind, I feel like these two issues built more towards something than the self-pitying of the first few issues where he was, like, literally throwing up on himself. That was... That was too much. And I feel like that is my biggest criticism of this arc is that I feel like emotionally and with character motivation, it's all over the place. Like there's the one page where Dane says, fuck off and then says you're he, then he calls Mordred a freaking weasel and like those are so incongruous in terms of severity of language that the fact that they're back to back makes them all the more jarring out of the God same character you fucko. Well. yeah like what is that <laughs> and I feel like that is very symbolic of the whole arc in terms of the way that the characters are behaving like we've been saying with Elsa where all of a sudden she all of a sudden she just takes off and even If she is watching from the shadows and is going to jump in at the last second, why? Why go to all of that effort? And some of it feels like forcing the figures into positions that don't really feel natural for them for the sake of getting to the next story beat. And I have to wonder if there were better ways to get to the next story beat.
6: Yeah, that my biggest thing is probably the characters being like Elsa doesn't really seem like Elsa. There's a lot of revisionist history with Dane and Cersei. Like that wasn't necessarily a like a like a oh my god I'm gonna miss Cersei relationship that was a very like like Cersei was obsessed with Dane. Dane really kind of liked Crystal more anyway but he like had to go with Cersei because you know mine whatever all that stuff but yeah it's a lot of it's a little bit of re-envisioning of some storyline.
0: And you know I think the idea of the pleasantly achieved retcon is one of Cy Spurrier's greatest talents especially over in the pages of Way of X, the way he deftly skips things that maybe don't need to be brought up and warmly embraces the things that do is significant to the storytelling. But something that I find very troubling about this issue is perhaps it feels like the revisionism is the happy times for Dane. They're just gone. Now, you know, one of the things I've really wanted to talk about with you, Nathan, is the implicit overstatement of Cersei in that dream scene. Sequence. It was very, in that vision, it was very clearly MC unification, right? Now, do you feel that there is even a possibility? Like, do you see this Black Knight fitting in with Kieran Gillen's Eternals, let alone the Eternals at all? He was never an Eternals character. They served together in Avengers and Exiles. So, what is it about this character being paired with that particular? I mean, in many ways, Cersei is just Vampirella and Green. So like what in fuck's name, Nathan? Justify it.
6: <laughs> okay, first off, if we're talking like like my go-to costume, it's like the bomber jacket red outfit in like later Avengers. Cause that is fucking killer. Like I was like, I was like, that green one is like is heck. But like if Dane Whitman <laughs> It was like very, like, though, like the precursor to the JLo dress, though, like a little bit. Like, uh,
4: <laughs> but
6: <laughs> anyway, um, if if that Dane Whitman had served on the Avengers with Cersei, there is no fucking way that Cersei would have given him the time of day. Like, he's too, like, broken and and self loathing. What the fuck? Yes, self loathing, self loathing for sure. Thank you. Oh my god. Yeah, that's Cersei. Will if Cersei meets him in this date, she's not going to have anything to do with him right now Um, and with their history together I don't know that they really need to be back together because that was really like let's be honest that was not a healthy relationship at all and that was not really a relationship at all but like you know kind of like the Dazzler and Lugster I think let's remember it that way but like you know it's yeah
0: now Rod my question for you is probably a little bit more complex in that you know I feel like the Eternals are characters that a lot of people vaguely knew of or they knew that people loved them passionately and I have to imagine especially with when you jumped into comics you don't have a great depth of Eternals knowledge you probably have a little bit more specific Eternals knowledge and knowing that you represent a really great benchmark of Marvel Universe fans did this Cersei appearance impact you on a comics level or did it impact you on a the upcoming Eternals movie level? Um, I mean
7: I've, done, I've read Eternals from the old- Diamonds forward. So. Uh, that I, I do love the Eternals and seeing her was very jarring because I did not know they had a relationship <laughs> at all. <laughs> I was like,
4: oh,
5: okay. Um, why is she here? <laughs> would she doing?
7: Why would she be with him? I'm judging her. I thought she had better taste. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I thought you were like this hot goddess being that like went with great men. I, I guess. That was her soulmate too. like Gross. I mean, I guess he's attractive. Whatever. Uh, but did it did it go with me for like the comics or movie i guess i would say more comics i didn't even think about the movie when i read this i was like oh are they gonna put him in the eternals book a little bit or are they gonna reference this again or are we gonna see him reconcile with her at the end of this story or is this just like a like a uh, like a oh what is it when they throw a little, like an Easter egg for people uh, that like know. like a
0: cameo, like a drop-in.
7: No, like yeah. yeah, like a drop-in for people that have read their past relationship and be like, oh, look, he remembers that he loved yeah. her at some point so maybe that was for the older like the fans that knew that and i was like oh this is cool and then we moved on like shortly after that and i was like okay cool whatever let's let's forget about that nonsense because also captain america was there and i was like captain america wouldn't want him to lead the avengers that's bullshit so
5: i'm like all oh, this is bullshit then <laughs> <laughs> but He should have gotten there yeah. immediately from that he should have gotten that it. it was a dream there was no way he was getting that
0: job an important person thinks i'm important wait this has to be <laughs> fake
5: right it has to be fake because He's not important.
7: He's he's a sweet man though, and I hope he gets the, the right counseling.
0: Because <laughs> you know what, and counseling is the name of the game. Somebody was like, "Look at this cup of magic poison," and he was like,
5: "Yup, give it." <laughs> and this this poison's gonna give you nightmares.
6: Fantastic.
0: Right? He's like, "That's all I need."
6: <laughs> no,
5: he's Kendall- like,
0: "Dare,
6: dare." No, he said, "Truth or dare." <laughs>
0: Kevo, my question for you is when you think about the Black Knight you read from the early 80s in the Otherworld saga, he was a dutiful guy who wanted to thrive in the situation he found himself. This Black Knight is a self-loathing narcissist who is driven by a need to understand the power that he doesn't understand. Do you feel there is a through line that connects the Dane Whitman you knew from 1981 to this Dane Whitman? I was hoping
5: the question would be something like that Because I was formulating a way to give the answer of, yeah, kind of actually. He's acting like Brian was in that arc. Brian Braddock was so obnoxious and whiny and cowardly that whole arc. And we spoke extensively about how Black Knight was the hero of that arc. And it wow. was really so much more his story. He was the one doing the heroic deeds and leading the charge. And he, at the start of this arc, was really acting a lot like Brian had in that arc. I and mean, I feel like Brian
7: acts like that all the time. This is Brian's character.
0: Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, back to it, I actually just set up all of my Bryans on the shelf right behind me right there, right? But that is the truth. One of the things about Brian Braddock is he is a character, like, I have a rule, right? And it's a personal rule. Never judge a person by their worst day. And the converse of that is never only expect a person's best day. Those two things set you up for failure. And Brian Braddock is very much the essence of that, right? You can't expect his best day and you can't, judging by his worst day he's a guy just struggling with mental health issues and that's sort of been brian's mo since day one like right away he's super fucked up by the death of his parents but because i'm not kidding the original plot is brian and this is why when everybody's like i really need to get my hands on that early captain britain stuff I'm Nah, like, you're, good. No you're, no, you're good. good no you're good no you're good um brian braddock believed that he was responsible for his parents death because he was having sex at the time they died he was banging oh, oh no so he spends years thinking that he can't ever know love because he was orgasming roughly around the same time that they died.
6: Okay, Uh, and how did Betsy have time to be a pilot? A model? A spy? Like, all within that amount of time.
0: And it's because you only see her here and there, and they constantly tell you all this stuff has happened between because every now and then, Brian would disappear for five years, and when he would come back, they would just be like, oh, Betsy's been a spy this whole time.
7: Mm, Betsy used to be badass, too. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and that's that's sort of what we're Examining here, when, when they wanted to expand Brian, they expanded Brian, and it had beautiful results. But when they wanted to expand the Captain Britain mythos, Brian had to become a whiny little piss baby. And when they want to expand the Captain, no, when they want to expand the Black Knight mythos, uh. it kind of seems like Dane has to become a bit of a piss baby. And I'm just That's... wondering why there can't be a balance of concept and character in a way that doesn't involve piss baby Ooh. syndrome. And you know, it's really interesting that we're talking about a couple of white characters that are going after the ebony power. That's usually a Wakandan story.
6: Yeah, yeah.
5: it is. <laughs> I, I have to say in, con- in comparison to Brian's stuff, at the very least, it feels like they are building up a character in contrast to Dane being so obnoxious and Falls Downsy with the character of Jax. Mm -hmm. Whereas when that was going on with Brian, there was no reason for it at all. It was just the 80s.
0: So now (laughs) my question for you guys becomes what do we think of the strong dynamic women that are very much the center focus of this story? I am a fan of and of course that means I accept Mordred goes with him, but neither one of them has really moved any of the four of us. I've been much more invested in the better parts moments of Elsa, although I will agree that her characterization has been a bit all over the place, and I find myself very drawn into this new character of Jax. This is not the first time a character has been given a powerful British sword that has made a new female character very dynamic. We saw this very recently with Faiza Hussein over in the pages of Captain Britain and MI-13 where she became the wielder of of Excalibur alongside the Black Knight. So this continues a tradition that the character has already had of having very strong, well-defined female counterparts as opposed to sidekicks. Because I don't know that Jax even plays as a sidekick for my money. I do hope Elsa resurrects her or the two of them go off on adventures. That kind of be more my thing. But what do you guys think about the infusion of powerful? You know, we, we said in an earlier episode, Yonic, but I think a little bit more genuinely feminist ideology into the overtly uh, patriarchal and oppressive idea of the Black Knight and the power that is hereditary to the males of this lineage.
7: Well, I don't know about that, <laughs> but I I do have a point in my head that I wanted to say that kind of goes with that, honestly, that I would be okay with, because I don't know if y'all read it, but it's, it's like a short story like this, the Iron Fist mini that happened that ended like last month, the month before. That and yeah, at just the end wrapped it, up, yeah, yeah. And at the end of it, I guess spoilers, I don't know, I don't really care, but he stops being Iron Fist, and like nobody, nobody has said anything. I'm not, I feel like I'm the only one that's mentioned it that he's not Iron Fist anymore, <laughs> he's just Daniel Ryan, and he's not, he no one is like hasn't appeared in the comics again Um, so that I would be okay with them doing this with the Black Knight and then making Jax like the Black Knight or some kind of knight or whatever like her taking the mantle some kind of way and him just kind of going away and having these little minis be like well we're going to take this older character that's been around for a while and they're tired and they don't want to do it anymore so they're going to retire so that's fine I'm good with that
0: and then they can go to the Expendables but for Marvel Comics it can be a bunch of old (laughs) guys who used to have powers but not anymore there you go.
7: <laughs>
5: Daniel Rank is still the karate, so there you go. <laughs> I would also enjoy that, but then I wonder what about Kit Harrington and the Eternals. Eternals, no the, sorry. No the,
0: Kev'o. Check <laughs> I, your the I, privilege.
5: I know, check the privilege.
6: That's my only question, but otherwise, yeah,
5: no, why not keep retiring the old white man?
6: Yeah, the, I was gonna say, like, it's kind of like Wanda dying, right? Like, you know Wanda is huge in the MCU, so you know Wanda can't die, right? You know she's not gonna stay dead. So, if you kill Black Knight now, before Eternals comes out, you know somehow they're gonna to have to bring him back to MC Unify the comics again and it would just be a stunt and my concern with Jack becoming the Black Knight is that she would be exactly like Faiza where Faiza rarely shows up outside of the comic that she was introduced in mm-hmm. and another thought like I had was like like, oh my god I've like new, new Excalibur like he wasn't like this in like when was that like mid 2000s like what happened to him in these last like 15 years he wasn't <laughs> <I'm> like getting <laughs>
0: Captain Britain in MI-13 two years yeah. later either
6: yeah no I'm like what Happened to him? Like, oh my God. I don't
0: know. I think we're facing an era where we're being forced to reconcile the characters that we kept afloat simply for the sake of IP something that a lot of people might not realize that is in order to maintain a trademark or copyright, one of the things you need to do is publish certain things with certain frequency. That means that in order to keep the, the copyright on Black Knight, you must legally publish a book called Black Knight every so often. In order to hold the copyright on Journey into Mystery, Thor has to be called Journey into Mystery every so often. And I think what we're finally seeing, and those are actually known as the Mickey Mouse laws, laws that extend copyright and trademark because Disney was so involved in creating those laws and getting them passed. So I think what we're seeing come due is the misapplication of the Mickey Mouse laws over the years and oh how that eventually affects and corrodes a story entity. It's why things like Agents of Atlas just got bounced to a different idea. It's why the champions went from a former X-Men and Avengers team to all the kids of the Marvel Universe. Because if you don't use it after a while, it becomes Becomes public domain. And I think we're finally seeing Marvel try to fix the fact that they have worked to keep the name Black Knight afloat aimlessly over the course of the last 20, 30 years. If you guys have a main hope for issue five, what would it be? I mean, for me, I kind of like the idea that the cover shows Dane wearing the crown and how that can symbolize the power of his mind being unlocked, where he can control the situation and passes on the sword and maybe he even deals with the crazy of the sword in his head for her thanks to the crown so that we can have a character not marred by this sense of because you know bad guy inside of your head giving you superpowers is just a metaphor for drugs it's just a metaphor for cocaine and steroids and it's just a metaphor for a thing that gives you power makes you weak and
6: i was all over the 80s
0: yeah i think we're done with it i think we're so far past it i think we've evolved past it as a culture Telling stories. It's why I don't ever really buy into it's why my least favorite storyline on Buffy ever was Willow's Addicted to Magic because I think we need to be careful with heavy handed reduction of actual struggles of people facing addiction and if we could recreate this idea as a central notion of power and ability without the false identity of addiction outweighing the benefits I think we would not only have a stronger character but we would be moving past an archetype and a trope that deeply limits those it's applied to. What do you guys hope for from issue five? I'm only hoping that we take down an archetypal trope.
5: <laughs> that's all.
7: That's all. I, I feel like that's what's probably going to happen, honestly. Because I feel like we got... That's why we got all the dozens of visions of the history of like how this all came to be, what Merlin did, how the, the, you know, the sword is made and all the other items. And he's gonna, he just fused them all together. And now like the sword is probably gonna get to him too or something. He's gonna, he's taken all the bad energy and then he's probably gonna get destroyed and the bad energy is gonna go with him. So now the items will probably be just like magical objects that aren't like, you know, negative, bad, juju you (laughs) so like i think that's what's gonna happen like they're just gonna he's gonna be like oh i don't have to be self-hating and evil anymore to try to be a hero and i'm going to resurrect jack somehow
0: no more superheroic negging
7: no more superheroic negging and then and then at the end he goes into a psychologist's office and is talking about his problems. What
0: it's do you think this he has, is, DC?
7: That's what needs to happen. And I hope that's what happens. He needs to ha- talk to a specialist. <laughs> that's
5: what I hope. <laughs>
6: Anybody Nathan or Okay, Kevin. <laughs> I was looking at
5: Kevin. I just don't want Dane and Jax to kiss. I'm so sick of straight people right now. Jax <laughs> <laughs> cuz I don't I I don't assume if she picks up the sword that she is also of Arthurian descent. I maybe she is.
0: She's probably just Marvel an alternate universe Black Knight.
5: Marvel doesn't have a problem if you are from the same bloodline with you making out right now. So whatever, whatever, whatever.
6: I'm just so tired <laughs> of straight people. Oh, <laughs> no. Ew. Alternate reality of Dane. Oh, that would be so awful for Jack. I hope don't wish that for her. I think, they, I think they might
7: just stay friends, hopefully. But yeah. if, if, so. if a kiss happens, I won't be surprised. Because he had no, no, that please, little... No, no.
6: I, don't, I won't be
5: surprised.
6: I don't want no. it. But,
7: like,
5: I won't be surprised. Great people can't help themselves. No, they can't. Since,
6: since this, since this ser- miniseries can always seems to, like, afford guest stars for one issue, I want, like, Brian to show up and, like, Roma and Merlin and, like, all of that yes. stuff. And, like, because, like, come on, like, those, those characters, like, yes, they have so much of their own history and everything, but they are so tied with Dane. Like, it, it's weird for them not to show up and for Elsa to be the one to show up in this book. Uh, I hope there is some sort of redemption for Elsa just, like, piecing out of the battle. And, like, obviously, Jax will be resurrected, and I I kind of I don't know if I want her to be Arthurian in line because that would just like saddle mordred on her and nobody needs that yeah, so, yeah. true don't do that
7: make her her own person
0: without all the history mumbo jumbo yeah. yeah absolutely I, I think there's a lot of room for her to be her own character yeah
5: I don't expect that we would see Merlin but I would love to see Roma show up she'd be like oh. sorry again about dad <laughs> <You
0: know>. welcome <laughs> to that Italian dress- restaurant and that dress
7: she has now like Ooh. yeah I would love to see that I like her a lot I don't know much about her exactly but Excalibur she's really cool.
0: Well guys, any final thoughts on Black Knights three and four before we head into the final issue to be released next month? I'm
5: genuinely uh, I, excited. That's all. Yeah, same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm excited. I've
7: liked these four issues despite their problems. I mean every comic has problems. It made me want an Elsa Bloodstone book even more. Every time she shows up I want a book. Marvel, get your IP with the Elsa Bloodstone book so you can keep her IP. Where is that book? Exactly right, a book called
4: Bloodstone right? Yeah. Where's that book,
7: Disney? You need to keep the Bloodstone IP. Let's call their the lawyers right now.
0: The um, annual could always be about Ulysses. <laughs> there could be a one-shot about Cullen. Just do it. Just call it I don't Bloodstone. want no, and no,
7: Nico, I don't want no damn one-shots. I want a full
5: series. No, no, I don't no. See, there could five. be one-shots
0: that tie <laughs> into it about the other Bloodstones.
5: Sure. So the ongoing oh. could be about Elsa. Uh, okay. Make it a okay. Bloodstone
6: Empire. I want, okay. I want that buddy that's book good. combining. <laughs> I want that buddy book with Elsa and her old Next Wave teammate uh Tabby and like okay. so it would just be amazing. like That'd you know, be cute. That'd be so cute. Like getting drunk cute. together like killing monsters like bam bam firecracker. But uh for issue five of this I just the one thing I don't want is just don't have Crystal show up. Like let's just forget that ever ever happened. Like yeah. Yeah this um,
0: has already that, been a super deep dive into the continuity <laughs> of an era that's hard to collect of an era that's hard to read properly, of an era that introduces an alternate universe teenage Tony Stark that nothing ever comes of. So, like, there's a lot of reasons not to spend too much time rehashing Black Nights gone by, and rather focus on the many wonderful Black Nights we have at the end of our many wonderful Black days.
6: Now, now you made me think of Wasp as an actual wasp, and I'm horrified.
0: I forgot when she was a giant wasp. Yeah, giant that was rough.
5: I'm thinking of her as a very repressed lady
0: from the Northeast. Yeah,
4: <laughs> We don't Accurate talk for some
6: about
0: part. money in public. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Nico here one last time. In this next segment, Nathan, Evelyn, and Drew tell us how they feel about X-Men number one. Now, this is one of those books where it was such a big launching point. We had to have multiple teams discuss it because nothing else felt like it really reverberated with the bigness of the series without that sort of fanfare. And we were excited to cover this issue from every angle. And what's amazing is every room had different things to talk about that made it special to them. And I think that's the hallmark of a great first issue that somehow you're uniquely special to a number of people who have never read you before it's a new entry point and i look forward to more issues by dugan and co on x-men and until then enjoy this last segment keep those mutant lights lit your crowing gateways open and we'll see ya
6: Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at comic, marvels, magic, and mutants week after week through their many titles. I'm Nathan, and you can find
8: me online on Twitter and Instagram at Dazzler AOA.
9: Hey, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me at Comic underscore Canary.
8: Hey, I'm Drew. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Driss for 3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R 3. And today,
6: the three of us are giving some of our favorite moments out of the fantastic X-Men 1. So, this X-Men issue you, is brought to us by writer Gary Dugan. Pepe Larraz is the artist. Marte Garcia is the color artist. V.C.'s Clayton Cowles is the letterer, and of course, we have Tom moeller on overall design on all things. That. So I know Drew was just mentioning a few moments ago that the art is probably the thing that was like maybe standing out the most to you. Where what do we think of that team of Marte
8: Garcia and uh you know Pepe Larraz? I think they're like the best the best uh, pair working at. Mar- Marvel right now. Um, And I think that Marte uh, Gracia is actually like I think he like like he enhances Pepe Larraz's art so much. It's just like the visuals I can't I got like there's a fuck ton of variants for this issue. And I just got the the Pepe Larraz one because it was honestly my favorite.
9: It was honestly just artistically beautiful. Just every single page was just
8: awesome. It
6: harkened back to I mean, because it's the same team, right? But it harkened back to the uh, cinematicness of the whole House of X Powers of Ten reboot for the launch. So I thought it was a really really amazing piece to get that art team on this book. I don't know about you guys, but I loved the kind of visual breakdown we got of the treehouse itself. Like that was really cool to see, you know just the treehouse, but then you've got this page right here. It is 11 of digital where you see like the different sections of the treehouse almost like what they've done with like the Boneyard and X Factor before where they kind of like break it down and show you all the individual parts. Mm -hmm. So kind of segue into like one of my favorite moments kind of was a little cheesy but what did you guys think of the X-Men's Dragon Zord that they or the X-Men's like you know Mighty Morphin Power Rangers moment where they had the big Zord come and save the day.
9: Okay so you hit it right on the head with what my favorite moment was. (laughs) I actually laughed out loud when this happened and I confused my animals and like something that I don't think I've ever talked about on this podcast before is growing up my very first I guess introduction to anime was *Tsunami*. And I cannot remember the name of it for the life of me right now, but there was like this really cool anime where it was kind of like a Pacific Rem-esque thing where it was people that would like sink in with these giant robots and like just go freaking kick butt. And ever since then, I've just, I've loved giant robot things and Power Rangers. Like I was always the green Power Ranger. I My favorite color is green and everyone was just like, that's the boy Power Ranger. I'm like, I don't care. And I was just obsessed with like Power Rangers and their Megazoid. and and, like, obviously Pacific Rim, I just brought it up. I'm, I'm obsessed. Even, like, the second movie that wasn't that great was still kind of fun. And I'm just – I love giant robots. I just – I freaking love giant robots. Even the Sentinels, I'm just like, these are cool. They're awful, but they're so cool. And I just – I cannot express how much I just fucking love this moment. Like, I did not expect to ever get this moment out of X-Men, but I was living for it so hard. I – I just oh my god just every single frame was just pure excellence and beauty and then at the very end they're just like oh they need a light tower over here or a lighthouse or whatever and I'm just like no keep it improve on it live your megazoid fantasy and it was just it was crack to me
0: (laughs) I just
6: love it. Oh my god. Right though? But like, oh my god, I didn't realize you had the huge giant robot love because that is so amazing. Because-
9: I have all the giant robot love. Like, I like that's just like my personal fantasy is like just in controlling a giant robot one day and just going smash, <laughs> smash, smash. If if anyone who has ever played Magic the Gathering knows me, knows that it's like I'm a gruel player. I love like just big monsters and going smash, smash, smash and big robots going smash, smash, smash. Yes!
8: <laughs>
6: all right drew now you can't t- t- oh, pee in please tell me you like the big robot moment
8: <laughs> so if you would have like if, if you would have just told me like this concept I and mean, been like and then they build a giant robot and attack the giant thing i would have been like that sounds so stupid i hate it like no i'm not reading that but it was so stupid in a way that i loved it <laughs> I'm like this is so stupid and i'm so here for it i it, don't disagree
9: it's stupid like it's it's stupid in a good way right, it, really. it's
8: stupid in a good way like it, it's so random and it's never been like done before in an x-men and it's just like like such a you un- like a unique and interesting way to use their their powers together like they literally could have done anything and it's just like instead they build this big giant stupid robot <laughs> that like but it like it was fun you know what i mean like and that's like what like along with like the mutant metaphor and everything i think that the x-men are still supposed to be fun and they've just been like depressed like and depressing for years and years and years and just getting like basically bombarded with like destruction after destruction after destruction since freaking like the mutant massacre and now they're like finally having fun and even though things are like going to shit they're finally still having fun i agree like I love the Krakoan era, like do not get me
6: wrong But I also do understand what a lot of people are saying about the books Not having those really fun, straightforward superhero moments This book was a fucking book full of fun, stupid-ass, crazy superhero moments And I'm like fucking there from it From the big battle Zorn to like Rogue getting like, or Rogue But Rogue getting like smashed through like 20 buildings Like it was very classic epic superhero battle, but it still kept some of the heightened mutant status of the new Krakoan era.
9: It definitely made me think because obviously it takes months and months to write and plan a comic before it actually comes out. And we know that we had the poll for the X-Men. So that just means they must have had something like this in mind for every single character that could have been on the team. And like something just completely out there, out of this world, crazy, that just works. And now I'm just purely curious what the other ones would have been.
6: (sighs) Oh, that is a really good point because you really couldn't have put together a big giant battle
8: without Polaris. Could you have? Right. You know, like, if Tempo was on the team, like what would that be? You know what they would have like, what would they, have them- done?
6: they would have got the robot drunk with age whiskey, on me. So okay, so Tempo would have been some kind of like, ooh, maybe like some kind of time machine, but like Cannonball or Sunspot, you really couldn't have like done some big fun thing like that. Who else was gonna be Banshee? Ah, you could have done something fun with Banshee, but like who else was? But you couldn't really
8: do like a structure, you know? No, like...
6: no. I'm so glad Lorna won this battle. Like I'm so glad Lorna won the poll, even though maybe it led to the end of X Factor because we got the fucking Battle Zord, Eggman. That's amazing. And if you look at it, like I'm looking at page twenty of digital right now like the X with the little sunfire fire effect on it
8: that is like so perfect but then another thing too is it also had like the really like good and interesting like moments like the end like the ending and like the very beginning with yeah. the scientist and setting up like new interesting like big bads and and that you know like like so while we did have all like fun and games there was still some like you know thatness of it
6: I really love your Theme song. That was amazing. The game world that was really awesome like I kept looking at the Lilo and Stitch looking motherfucker there like on the page where like you know what is it page 28 where like they're like bong and I'm like oh my god that's a little alien from those Disney movies but um,
9: well I mean the whole thing I just again I love aliens I yeah. love ridiculousness and a bunch of aliens being like this neighborhood would be great without um, humans and <laughs> earthlings and I'm just like you know what I don't disagree with you <laughs> however I do fully support you fucking with them right now because I feel like this could be a lot of fun. (laughs) I love stupid. Like, the stupider, the better. I mean, I'm a stupid hoe and just, like, stupid hoe shit. Give me stupid fun anytime and I'll pick it over it.
6: Yeah. No, I think that's that's what I really enjoyed the most about this book, which is stupid fun. Even, like, the big stupid fun moments. Even, like, the little stupid phone moments where, like, Lorna's like, oh, I have something to confess. And Scott's like, don't fucking tell me you killed Wanda. Like, like it's just this this was stupid fun. It's not like you're not sitting here looking we're trying to read Pride and Prejudice. You're reading fucking X-Men 1. It's a blast. It is they got they have I mean come on. They have a fucking treehouse as their base. Like how could this not be a stupid fun blast of a time? Mm-hmm. Uh so we did get introduced to somebody who is going to most likely be a very big element of the book. The human who was trying to go to Mars who realized it was too hard for a human to try to change Mars. So we had to change his own body. That's obviously going to be a big future story on it. So we've got some really big setup. We've got some really big fun, stupid shit. We've got a really nice touching moment dedicated to Thunderbird. Now, the Memorial Garden, do we think that means Thunderbird has
8: not been resurrected? It sounds like he hasn't yet. Like, just that's the vibes I'm getting, that he hasn't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, is he not able to be maybe resurrected? Well, he's just like not on the list. Like, he just hasn't. Yet? like he's not on the list like he's further down the list maybe I don't know.
9: back to the scientist real fast yeah. like, oh, absolutely. as a scientist honestly i'm very sympathetic to this villain and i'm actually really curious about this villain as well <laughs> I know. I okay. also
8: wanted to could you imagine you did all that shit to yourself and and then you're just like, Oh, it was all for nothing. Well, like, <laughs> like here's the
9: thing. Okay. <laughs> I like I come from a marine biology background. I actually know someone who was working on coral and the short version is she's working on trying to see like why different coral can survive different, like hotter temperatures than others to try to figure out how to like you know save the reefs. She's doing oh, God's work. And yeah. the building that we had at my university was super old and the university didn't care about us and one of her tanks broke oh. and it literally boiled her coral alive oh. and some of the coral actually survived which was like holy fuck we gotta test this shit out but on the other hand like three years of her work was like destroyed because this is coral that literally only breeds once a year on the new moon of in summer like that's the only time they breed and like sometimes they just skip a year so getting all new specimens to raise oh my god like she literally broke down crying and that's what this reminds me of it's just like you have tried so hard and then something completely out of your control destroys all of your research oh my god like I've never had that happen and I can't imagine it happening to me like I would be so upset you know
6: oh god yeah oh god yeah no I I can't I cannot wait to see where that story goes because you can tell it's gonna be something good and I'm here for it there were some nice appearances from other mainstays of the Marvel Universe we had Ben Ulrich coming to interview Scott Summers himself as more off the panel cameos we had the Fantastic Four show up and the Avengers right when the X-Men had finally triumphed over the evil robot so we've got and that, that in itself is a nice callback to some of the other older number one issues whenever the X-Men have tried to bring it back and become pure hero like I think Astonishing X-Men one, we won't mention the writer but astonishing x-men one if i remember right had the same sort of moments where the x-men made their big debut in new york and they were like "Bam! this is the team we're heroes and they had those same kind of moment
8: there another thing i wanted to bring up was ben yurik kind of figuring out that with jumbo carnation he died in the morrison run so how did he design all of the the outfits for the the gala and like ben yurik was there and interviewed and saw the dead body so how is he alive
6: (laughs) you know i've got to imagine people in 616 marvel earth before the whole mutant resurrection process got a little used to people somehow coming back from the dead (laughs) because it seemed to happen all the time but Mm -hmm. you're right he's trying to put it back he's trying to put that all together so I don't know
9: I definitely like love Polaris I still think that one she I think she was more beneficial to X Factor and like justice for X Factor and I think that some other teammates could have been more interesting Mm -hmm. I still just absolutely love this and again like the journalist Cyclops like that whole That line where he's where Cyclops Is like I think you're a really good writer And he's like for a human right and he's like no For anyone and I guess Just showing that kindness to humans Is it's something that is Important to Krakoa because a lot Of them are very like oh humans Suck humans hate us so we hate them And even though yes I I, I definitely Understand and sympathize with that and I Would probably honestly be one of those people But I <laughs> I do think it's very it's it's very good of Cyclops to be like to write to show that it's like they can recognize talent where it's due and honestly just like with the rest of the world we can't make actual change until we can come together in some way and I think by like them building that tree house in New York and being like this is where our roots are and we want to continue to continue to save the city and be the heroes that this earth needs even even if it doesn't deserve it. And that's just something I think is potentially going to be a theme in at least this first story arc. And I'm very curious to see like, if that theme continues.
6: You know, the, you make a good point with that. The X-Men need to mutant, you know, right now they have this, they have the Krokoan Island, right? But they've been so separated from humanity as a whole. And to see them come in, to see Scott, you know, compliment the Benora, to see Scott in that first panel there, take a selfie with just a normal human and go walking through the park, like those moments 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 are just so amazingly important in the battle for the coexistence and the acceptance of the x-men what they're doing on kakroa is important but what they're doing on the team is important as well